0: Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now, here's Alan with this week's teaching.
1: Welcome, everyone. Good to see you guys this morning. Um, As you know, Alan and Cheyenne and a group of about 30 kids just went to just left uh, this morning for Eastern Kentucky summer advance. Uh, So you guys be praying for them. Um, It's going to be a good next few days for them. And we want to just give you an update uh, about BBS. $5,000,
2: $5,000, he would shave a mohawk. If we raised $7,000, we could completely shave his head. So I think he thought that was a pretty safe number, but as most of you have probably seen, we met that goal. So we raised over $7,000 for mission. Yeah, right there. Great and, yeah. picture. <laughs> so I don't think I will ever forget the look on his face when he heard the number. It was uh, priceless.
3: I'm not sure, but I think Miss Emily really enjoyed doing that. Yeah. It looked like she was having a good time.
2: <laughs> so, but yeah, it was all worth it. We um, we were able to raise money. We uh, talked about Operation Christmas Child. We talked about The Hill. We talked about Live Love Ministries. And we talked about Elevate FM. So we we're going to be giving to all of those uh, missions as well as other missions that were in our budget. Um, so that $7,000 is going to be able to go a long way to help um, several of the things that had in our budget for missions, So I just want to thank everybody who helped with BBS this last week uh, from all the teachers to the helpers, the cooks, uh, the security, everybody. There was so many people that helped with it and um, it just it went off wonderfully. The kids had a great time and just thank you for giving. Thank you for praying. Just thank you for being involved
1: with it. And, you know, we didn't mention it in the first service, but also the fifth graders did a few missions, too. They, they were able to build a bed, which I think that bed is uh, getting delivered here to a family in Benton. Uh, they made some casseroles. They made 15
2: casseroles for the Resource Center. Uh, they made uh, probably 60 or so snack bags that the kids took to Summer Advance this week also. So. Yeah, so
1: anyway, great, great week, wonderful week. Um, Also wanted to mention, of course, Dustin is here, the garden. I don't know if you saw the garden, but everything's starting to come in. Um, I know Dustin is planning on maybe doing some tilling this week, but I I want you guys to be in prayer about uh, getting involved with that. We're going to need some help picking and de-weeding and stuff in the the coming weeks. So uh, be praying about that. And then also one other thing, this Wednesday night, we're going to be joining with the Methodist Church and Central Church of Christ right over here for fireworks that starts at eight o'clock and we need you to bring some desserts what do, what do you like uh, steve a banana pudding i thought you were banana pudding so banana pudding okay yeah under the pavilion is where you need to bring the desserts at the methodist church so that ought to be a very very good time great time of fellowship but anyway uh, thank you all so much and uh anything else is that it okay
0: Let's stand again, and
4: we'll continue worship. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you.
0: among us this morning, Father, and in us. Thank you that we can confidently and boldly approach your throne this morning, that you've made us saints, that you don't hide from us or shirt from us because of sin that might be there, that you've made us clean, seated us in Christ, at your right hand, in heavenly places this morning. So that not only can we worship you and praise you face-to-face with direct access to the throne of God. We can eagerly await your coming. So we say this, Lord, come Lord Jesus. We love you. Thank you also, Father, that you give us great gifts. That you call us to be stewards and managers of resources for a short time. That you require not a percentage, not a portion. That we get the honor of giving 100%, acknowledging you as owner and no, we're just managers, Lord. We trust you with this offering this morning. We pray that you would take it, multiply it, do incredible things for your kingdom with what we're able to give today. We trust you with it. Let this time of offering God continue to be a time of worship as well. We're all yours. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll keep singing.
4: Creation. All of the earth makes straight a highway, a path for the Lord. Jesus is coming. God, who you are your king
0: love you, Lord. Thank you for moving among us this morning. Continue to do what you do best, Lord. We give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: We're honored this morning to have a guest with us. I'm going to ask Brother William Carter if you begin making your way up here. He is a Gideon speaker. He's from the Paducah camp, and he was with us this morning in the first service and he's going to share with us again here in the second service, I, I failed to do this this morning in the first service, but uh, at the end of the service, if, if three of you guys would, eat, each one get at one door with a bucket and so that we can take up a love offering for the Gideons, uh, uh, we got some money this morning in the first service, but I just failed to make that announcement. So uh, I told Brother Carter this morning, I said, uh, the only thing that I hold against you is that Brother Steve Brodsky called me. This, by the way, I didn't say this this morning, but Brother Steve is not feeling well at all. He has been sick all week. He called me earlier this week and said, I just don't think I'm going to be able to be there Sunday. But he shared with me that he and Brother William were good friends. And I said, how in the world can anybody be a good friend with Steve Brodsky? I got a better laugh at the first service with that than I did this service, Brother William. But we're honored to
5: have you here. You share
3: with us what God's laid upon your heart. Okay.
5: Yes, yeah, Steve and I are good friends, and I'm also friends with Ron Welch. And as to the Gideon Ministry, uh, my wife and I have been members of Gideon International since 2004. And we're from, I'm from Paducah. And my wife is not with me. I miss it tonight because she always gives me words of encouragement before I get up. I know she's doing that, doing that now and praying with me. But she had, a little sickness, so she couldn't be with me. And I'm gonna say this, and it's probably gonna shock you, but my wife and I, in August, we've been married 53 years. And I may not appear to be that old, but uh, I worked 36 years at, at uh, Carver City and, and uh, at now they call it Oklahoma, in management, so. God has blessed me. I've had some sickness. And I had an opportunity to go to Uganda in 2013 in the fall, September. Well, yeah, that's fall. I uh, spent 17 days there and with the Gideon ministry. You know what we do. We're Gideons. associated. The Association of Born Again Christian Business and Professional Men and their wives. That's what we are. And we all become Gideons through evangelical churches and the pastor had to sign off on it we had to be in good standing we had you know with the church so we all are from churches a lot of us uh, uh, have very important responsibilities in the church I'm a deacon in my church in in Paducah Harrison Street Baptist Church and I thank God for this opportunity because what we have an opportunity to do is what we learn in churches from the ministers and in teaching and so forth. We take it beyond the walls, as all of us should do. But we give us an added reasons to, to do this because we carry certain things like a little testament that we carry. And we have given our, our oath, not necessarily oath, but to God to, to do these things. So when we, we go out, we know, you know. I'm a Christian. If if the Holy Spirit lays on my heart to minister to someone, or someone to minister to me, I'm going to allow that. And I had an opportunity through the Gideon Ministry. Everything that we do is voluntary. So about 2,000 miles away, Uganda, and that country now had about 38 million people, and they speak English. A lot of them speak English. Actually, English is one one of their main languages. And I was impressed there because where we go to Gideon International set up their ministry the same way. They have camps over there, which, you know, we may call a club or whatever, but the same way. And they, they follow the rules and regulations the same way. So we were there to train them, to help them get the word out to the many places they need to get the word out. We went into prisons, went into the schools. Over there... They don't have kindergarten. They have first grade. We, we uh, gave out over four hundred and fifty thousand copies of a, a little testament just like this, and God was blessed us to do that. We went into the prisons. If you hold a Bible up over there, guess what? They all run to you, and they want that Bible. Could I have a Bible? Little kids, older kids, all of them want a Bible. Whole families have. Been won over to the Lord with just one testament. We have testaments, testaments that uh, in the back where they sign their names and say they were converted, where all whole families that have written their names back there and have done that in those countries. They still want the Bible over there. Sometimes we have our issues here, but over there they want the Bible. I went after, I was didn't know. At the time that I went over, how sick I really was. I had a difficult time moving around over there. But I, when I got back, I found out that uh, uh, I'm, in, I'm in remission from cancer, which is multiple myeloma, stem cell transplant and all of that. But I'm healthy and I'm well. And I do things that I, now at my age, and you can guess it, <laughs> but that I couldn't do when I was much younger. So God, God has blessed me. I want to tell you also that in all of your hotel rooms, in this Marshall County, there should be Bibles like this. There should be Bibles like this. These Bibles cost $5. And uh, you pay for them. That's what you do. You pay for them. That's, that's where we get the, the money to pay for these Bibles. That's why we come and tell you about the testimonies that, that we, have, uh, we, we have thousands of testimonies from people from all over the world. You know, that's that actually one person gets saved and hundreds of others get saved. I told the story about my good friend of mine, Alan Speaker, this morning. His dad was a contractor. And towards the end of uh, his dad's uh, tenure as a contractor, he wanted his son to take over. But Alan didn't want any part of that. So while he was in his hotel room one day, he saw a Bible and it was already open. And he didn't remember exactly what the scripture said, but he said eternal life. And that Holy Spirit spoke to him. And he was way from home then, actually several hundred miles away. And he called his wife and said, I'm coming home this weekend. I'm going to church. That weekend he was saved. Later on he became a minister. And he was called to a church in Oostus, Florida. A church that was dying. And that membership was almost gone. But he he and his family raised that membership up over 20 years to over 1,000 members. And then at that time, God called him into another ministry because he noticed that a lot of ministers were leaving their churches for one reason or another to minister to ministers. And that's what he does now. Just one Bible led to all of this And and the hundreds and thousands of people being saved. Here in Marshall County, of course, like I said, we're in your hotel rooms. We go to your the jails, the prisons. We also go to, uh, we go to, the fire department, the police department. We used to do the schools, but we sort of backed off of that because some of the lawsuits that we have had—not to us, but to the teachers and administrators themselves. So last year we distributed over eighty. 2 million copies of God's word all over the world. Even in China, where we don't have a a formal establishment, but we still go there. We're able to go into the churches, and inside the churches, we can distribute Bibles. What we need mostly is prayer. We are a praying ministry. That's how we got started in 1899. Three men got it started. And then it built from there. And where we are now, we meet each Saturday morning, each camp in their own area. They meet and we pray for a half an hour from 7 to 7.30. All over the world that is happening in our time zones. We are not just praying for our ministry. We're praying for you because our world needs prayer now. We need a, we need a real strong movement. and You know that. So we ask you to pray for us. Then we ask you to help us to purchase these so we can continue to fill the hotel rooms and all the other places that we have that you see medical facilities and so forth with the word. One more little story. I was downtown Paducah making a delivery, and I passed this gentleman sitting in a chair and where he was on a bench. When I first passed him, I didn't really notice, but I looked back and noticed that he didn't have any legs but I went on to my destination and I had to come back to get something out of my vehicle. I passed by him again. I spoke to him, but I didn't question him. The Holy Spirit was dealing with me. So when I made the delivery on my way back, I almost passed him. I like, and like the Holy Spirit said, you need to do what I asked you to do. I went on and asked him, I said, young man, what do you, what do you need? Are you need anything? He wasn't begging, but I Notice, you know, sometimes you have, you discern something. He said, I need $10 to finish my rent. $10. I'm thinking, you know, he need that for something else, not that. But the Holy Spirit wrote, don't question me and don't judge it. So I reached in my pocket and I got out. Didn't have a 10. I had a 20. So I had to give him the 20. But I'm thinking that's what the Lord wanted me to do. The young man started to cry, and he started telling me his story of how he lost his legs. He was working for a contractor that didn't have insurance in Nashville, Tennessee, and it was on an elevator shaft, and something broke and cut his legs off. And actually, Vanderbilt took care of that part of it, that part of it, but he didn't have any health insurance. Nobody was hiring. So there he was. And I didn't question him anymore. I just laid my hand on him and prayed. And I thank God for that. that I don't care about what's going on around me. I don't mind praying for someone who needs. I thank you for this opportunity because we also have an addition. You probably got somewhere out there in the hallway or places. A rack that has the uh, Gideon cards. These Gideon cards are free. But what we ask you to do is put a little money in the envelope and send it to International. And for that purpose... You can bless someone with the card, but also you can have a Bible sent to someone anonymous anywhere in the world. So we thank you today for this opportunity. I am amazed and really impressed with your church. I appreciate the preaching. And Brother Smith, I thank you so much for the opportunity and for you and your pastor for having me here. And also, I imagine I'm here really because maybe Broski had something to do with it. <laughs> but yeah. If, if, for instance, I didn't do well, I probably won't be back, but praise the Lord. Uh, you young folks, good to see you. Continue to come. Praise the Lord. All
8: right, well, Good morning. As you can see, I'm not Alan Miller, but I am standing in solidarity with him this morning with a fresh haircut. Um, if I've not met you yet, my name is Seth Waldrop, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. I'm thankful you're here, whether you're long-standing member who's been here every week or you're a first-time guest this morning. I just thank you that you're here to worship with us and to open up God's Word and study it together. And and so we'll do that now. If you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and be turning over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you've been with us the last several weeks, what we've been doing here at First Missionaries, we've been walking through this series called Family Vacay, vacating the attitudes and habits that wreck our families. And in doing this, Brother Allen has been walking through Ephesians 5 specifically and zooming in and showing us how this affects individual family units within our church. Today, I want to take a step back for a minute and zoom out to see the bigger picture here at play and talk about how this impacts our bigger family that we are a part of. You see, when we choose to follow Christ and when our hearts are transformed and made new, we individually receive a new identity. We are made new. We are made holy, perfect, blameless, righteous. That's all part of who we are in Christ. But that's not the only thing that we get. We also are given a new family, the household of God, the church. That is our family. And as we spend time walking out this faith with our family or with our church family, we start to develop various habits and attitudes and behaviours toward one another. Some of these are healthy, some of these are helpful as we grow with one another in Christ, but others are not. Others are, are poor and and perhaps even destructive. And if we're not vigilant in examining ourselves and, and constantly examining each other within the body of Christ and specifically guarding against these things, what we will find is that these poor attitudes and these destructive behaviors that we develop could potentially wreck our church family. They could wreck the family of God. And so what Paul discusses here in our passage this morning in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, he picks out three ways in particular That we as a church can help guard against this happening in our church family. To put it another way, there are three things, attitudes, behaviors, that we can, uh, that could potentially wreck the family of God. And it's these attitudes and behaviors that we need to be vigilant to vacate, to reject out of our midst. And so the main idea of our passage this morning, if you don't take anything else away, take this with you. That when the family of God unites around this gospel... And when we embrace our diversity, and when we work vigilantly toward building up each other in love to maturity, that is when we begin to reflect God well and bring him glory. Unity, diversity, and rejecting complacency in our lives. And so before we unpack what this looks like, let's pray now. Let's pause and ask God's help as we study this morning. God, we just thank you so much for your word. And I thank you for the testimony of Brother William that was here just testifying about the power of your word around the world. How just one verse from your word can, can spark someone to, to ask questions and to delve deeply into their heart and ultimately come to follow you. God, we pray that this word would change us this morning, that we would look to your word, that your spirit would testify with our spirit, that you would convict us of sin and draw us to deeper faith and repentance, and that we would well apply it to our lives that it wouldn't just be in one ear and out the other, but that we would take this word and apply it to our lives and be transformed, walking out this faith that we've been given in Christ. And so we just pray for your help this morning in doing this. We love you and we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing that Paul points out here in our passage is that we must vacate disunity. We must vacate disunity. Paul writes this in Ephesians 4, Starting verse one, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What a passage that is. Paul here, he's, he's imploring, he says, the Ephesian church and us who are reading this today and studying this, he's imploring us to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling with which we've been called. We have been called by the gospel to be transformed. And that has taken hold of our heart. It has taken root and it has transformed our heart. And we are to live in a way that that that, that manifests that, that displays that. In the Greek, Paul is here is saying, he's he's saying, Humas, you all. It's a plural noun here, you all, the family of a God, of God as a whole, the church, need to be walking in a manner that is worthy of the gospel that has changed you. Because it doesn't just give you an individual identity. Remember, this gives you a corporate identity as well. The gospel does. In other words, we can't just talk the talk as Christians. We must also walk out our faith faithfully. We must walk the walk of Christians as well. As the church, as the family of God, there are certain attitudes and behaviors that should characterize us, things that people should look at us and see emanating out and displaying that the gospel has taken root and changed us internally. Paul calls on us here to embrace such attitudes as humility, gentleness, patience. And did you notice that these sound very similar to the fruit of the spirit defined in Galatians 5? These are things that should emanate out of us as Christians. And what Paul says next in verse 3, It's central to us understanding how we can exemplify such characteristics, such noble characteristics. Paul says that we must be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Family, this is part of our identity in Christ. As a collective whole, as his family, we are uh, unified in the gospel. The gospel has created this unity between us. Paul explains this even further, saying this deep theological truth that there is one body and one spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. See, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, there is a bond that forms. There's a bond that forms vertically between us and Christ, but that's not the only bond that forms. There is a bond that forms horizontally between us and our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ as well. And this bond brings us closer together with our church family, even closer together with one another in Christ than we are in any other relationship that we have in this life, including our blood relatives. Christ draws us closer to that, to himself than we are to any other person in this life. That's how deep this goes. That's how united we are in Christ. Whether we want to be close to other brothers and sisters in Christ now or not, this is our reality. This is what happens to us when we follow Jesus. The same blood that that Christ poured out on the cross now courses through each and every one of our veins, and we are united by this bond of peace in the gospel. Notice the word that Paul repeats again and again in this passage. One, 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 over and over and again. Family, we are one in the gospel. We are one. That is our present reality in Christ. And so what we must do then is vacate any inkling of disunity among us and instead embrace this unity that is found in the gospel. We are one in Christ, so we need to act like one. One. There are all sorts of things in this world, in our life, that can divide us. And family, any given day, Satan and his his power are trying to pull at every single string that he can to divide us. To accomplish this division in us. To try and sow seeds of division within the church. To try and, and gain footholds within the family of Christ. Jealousy can creep in as we start comparing ourselves to one another in the body of Christ and see that that Joe and Susie have everything. They have it all. Why can't I have it all? Why, Why am I sitting here living paycheck to paycheck, struggling to make ends meet? Pride can creep in as we compare ourselves to other brothers and sisters thinking, well, at least I'm not in that situation. At least I'm not in that circumstance. At least I'm not struggling with that sin. And we turn our noses up to them. Here in Kentucky, we're in a gubernatorial election year. The governor will be elected at the end of the year. Next year is the presidential election for the United States. And things are already heating up in politics. Politics these days seem to divide us more than anything else, I think. Family, we must let our faith affect how we engage in politics. That is imperative for us. We must let the Bible have the final authority over how we vote and how we choose to engage in politics, but we can't. What we can't do, what we can't do is let our politics divide the family of faith. We can't let it tear us apart because that is exactly what Satan wants. See, we have word in Revelation that God is building his church from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. God is calling people from all kinds of backgrounds All kinds of ethnicities, all kinds of languages, all kinds of political affiliations, and he is bringing us into one big family. And when he welcomes us into his family, he makes us one. So family, let's start acting like we're one. When Christ shed his blood, he tore down, he decimated the barrier of hostility that once stood between us. And I think we tend to forget this fact. See, apart from Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead. We were lost. We were hopeless and helpless to do anything about our sinful and rebellious state before a perfect and holy God. But in his mercy, God took on flesh. He penetrated the impenetrable barrier that stood between a holy God and an imperfect, sinful human being. And he lived the perfect life that we should have lived. And then he gave up that life and he, he gave it on the cross and died the death that we deserve to die. And then he rose to new life so that we could have hope for peace, for reconciliation before the sovereign God of the universe. And if we put our faith in Christ alone... We trust that Christ removes those rebellious rags that once clothed us, that once characterized us of sin and rebellion, and he instead carries us into the presence of our Holy Father, and he puts his robes of righteousness around us instead. We are clothed in his righteousness. We are reconciled with God, and we are called sons and daughters of the king. What an exchange that is. Never, ever, ever forget the radical change that happened in us when the gospel took hold of our hearts and took root and blossomed. When we are welcomed into the family of God through faith in Christ, that means God has already obliterated, decimated the biggest barrier of hostility that could ever be erected. The barrier between perfect and holy and and majesty God majestic God, and sinful man. That barrier is gone in Christ. It is completely laid flat. And so let's not erect any unnecessary barriers between us within the family of God, especially. Let's vacate any notion of disunity and instead be united around the gospel that has changed us and display that unity for everyone to see, not only within the body of Christ, but those outside the body as well. After all, it was Jesus who said that the world will know who are his by the way we what? By the way we love one another within the family of God. Not by the way we bite each other's backs, stab each other in the back, cut each other down. That doesn't show Christ. It's why we, it's, it's, it's how we love one another and show the unity that we have in Christ. And we do this. By exhibiting these very things toward one another. Humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance for one another in love. And this tolerance, it doesn't mean that we tolerate each other's sin. That's not what Paul's saying here. Elsewhere in scripture and even later on in this passage, it it speaks to us that we are responsible for holding each other accountable. For calling each other to repentance and deeper faith from sin. For repenting from sin and deeper faith in Christ. We are called to speak the truth in love to one another, but in all we do, we need to be carrying ourselves with a spirit of love, of grace toward one another. Are we doing that? Are we doing that with each other? When we leave this place, how are we treating each other? When we engage in discussions, especially in disagreements, because that's when this really comes out. Are we are we attacking the other person's character on social media? especially behind the veil of of anonymity? Are we spreading lies and slander about them? Are we airing our our dirty laundry publicly that that should be handled in a face-to-face conversation offline? See, the gospel gives us a renewed perspective on some of the hostilities that we seem to have with each other, doesn't it? We must vacate these attitudes and behaviors that promote disunity among us. And instead, we have to start treating each other like the unified brothers and sisters in Christ that we are. We need to start living like the unified family that we have been made to be by the gospel. So let's be slow to speak. Quick to listen. Let's carry ourselves with a spirit of gentleness when we do speak up to one another. Let's exhibit much patience with one another as we interact. And especially, let's assume the best motives in the other person instead of assuming the worst. Ultimately, let's let's build each other up. Make the choice to build each other up instead of tearing one another down because that is doing the enemy's work for him. We are called to a better way, family. As a family of God, we must vacate disunity, but we also must understand that unity does not mean uniformity. And so what we also must do then, second, is vacate uniformity. Vacate uniformity. Paul says this in Ephesians 4, verse 7. He says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. We are all adopted into one family when we're saved. But that doesn't mean that we are all identical siblings. We're not identical twins, triplets, however many of us Christians that there are. That's not what we are called to be. We all share of one spirit. We are all part of one body. But God has uniquely gifted each of us to function in a diversity of ways within that body. And that's a beautiful thing. See, Paul is rooting all of this in the doctrine of the ascended Christ. And his works that he accomplished in the gospel. Christ secured us this diverse identity when he, sa- when he saved us on the cross. Because Christ conquered death and sin. Because Christ rose again and ascended into heaven. Because he took a seat on the throne in heaven. We have a secure identity in him. It is finished. It is done. And that identity is not going anywhere. Because he ascended to the throne. He sent his spirit, Acts 2, to come dwell in each of us. And unite us around the gospel and bond us together in peace. But he also gave us another gift. See, he also secured us unique gifts and responsibilities within the church to serve one another, to love one another well, to equip one another, as the next verse says. Paul lists some of these gifts here, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. But this isn't meant to be an exhaustive list of gifts. The point that Paul is trying to make with this is how God uniquely gifts us in a diversity of ways in order to come together and make up a beautifully functioning whole person a whole body, a whole church, a whole family. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul elaborates on this even further, that we are one body, although we were made up of many members. See, we're not all ears. We're not all hands or lungs or noses. And guess what? That's okay. In fact, that's more than okay. That's exactly how God designed this thing to work. Like Paul said elsewhere, if everyone was an eye, where would the hearing be? If everyone was an ear, then where would the sense of smell be? See, family, we each have a purpose and a role to play within this body of Christ, within the family of God. And sometimes I think we can get jealous of each other's gifts. We start comparing ourselves to each other and and end up coveting each other's gifts. What we're longing for in that moment is uniformity. God, why can't I be gifted in that way? Why couldn't you gift me with that kind of equipping so that I could be up on stage playing in the band, up in front of everyone. Why couldn't you gift me the way that I want to be gifted? But if we let ourselves down that trail, if we let ourselves get jealous and we long for more uniformity, what, we ends, up, what ends up happening is that we end up overlooking how God has uniquely gifted us for his ministry. We miss out how God wants to use us uniquely in expanding his kingdom and bringing him glory. See, there's no cookie-cutter formula for how we go about obeying God's commission on us to be his witnesses and to make disciples. What we're called to do is to be faithful in the work that we're given in God, serving his church, stewarding our God-given gifts to his glory as we participate in the ministry of reconciliation alongside one another and expand his kingdom as a whole church, as a whole family. See, God knows what he's doing. That sounds silly to say out loud perhaps, but rest assured he knows what he's doing. He has gifted his church in a diversity of ways so that we can work together, unified around the central purposes of the gospel and held together by this bond of peace in our spirits in order to honor him and to bring him glory and to make him known around the world. So family, let's prayerfully seek out how God has uniquely equipped us and gifted us Let's invite others who we know well and trust, others who, who know our lives and know us well to provide feedback, to, to, to help speak into how they see God equipping us, how he has gifted us. Let's look around our church family and see needs that need to be met. And let's entertain the thought that God may have un- equipped us, may have equipped you, may have equipped me uniquely to fill that need. Let's vacate this idea of of uniformity, that we all have to be the same, that we all have to be equipped and gifted in the exact same way, and instead, let's embrace this beautiful diversity that God has master-planned, this beautiful mosaic canvas that God is using to paint His church. Let's embrace that. As we see how God has equipped us, as we see the way that the church needs us to serve, let's be ready to do something about it. We can't sit idly by, but let's be ready to act. And that brings us to the final point, that as the family of God, we must vacate complacency. Vacate complacency. Paul just got done listing these, these list of gifts here, the short list of gifts in verse 11, and he goes on in verse 12 to say that God has gifted his church in this variety of ways in order to, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all maintain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is ahead even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each and every individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Family, there's a purpose behind how God has designed this. How God has designed us individually, uniquely, and how God has designed his church to f- function in a diversity of ways, but all for this unified purpose of the gospel. Like I said, God God knows what he's doing. And he has gifted us in a variety of ways for the purpose of equipping the saints. That is the church. That is the family of God. He he, He has equipped us in order to equip each other, to serve each other, to sharpen each other, to love each other well. This word translated service in the Greek is diakoneos, which is is service or ministry. And what Paul is saying here is that all saints, all saints, every follower of Christ is responsible for the work of ministry. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul wrote to the Corinthians telling them that the love of Christ compels us to participate in the ministry of reconciliation that God is accomplishing throughout the world. And so we, each, each and every one of us in the family of God have a role to play in participating in God's ministry. See ministry is not just for pastors. It's not just for, for overseas missionaries. Like we tend to think. Ministry is something that every single follower of Christ. Everyone in this room who has followed Christ. Is called to do when we are saved. God has given us a new identity in Christ. He's given us this collective identity in his body. And we've been given gifts by God. We've been equipped by God in order to be used for the equipping of others in the work of ministry. How are we stewarding what we've been given? How are you using your gifts to serve the church family? How are you currently using your gifts to help push other brothers and sisters in Christ closer to him? How are you using your gifts to help spread the gospel more widely and bring more brothers and sisters into the family of God? See, this thing called church this thing that we call church that we come and be a part of is not something that we can take lightly. We can't approach this in a haphazard way. The church is God's bride and he cares about her and he cares about what we do. God has called his church to be committed to him and committed to one another and committed to his mission. And the only way That we're going to push each other to maturity like Paul is calling for here in Ephesians 4. To building up the body into a mature man is by committing ourselves to actively pursuing it. Not being complacent, but actively pursuing this. We've got to speak the truth in love to one another. We've got to hold each other accountable. We have to call one another to repentance and deeper faith in God. And we're not doing this to earn God's favor. Because all the favor that we could possibly earn has been given to us in Christ. What we're doing this is we're wanting to grow in maturity because of what Christ has done. As a result of what Christ has done in us and what he's doing in us and through us. This means more than just worshiping together on a Sunday morning, y'all. This this family that we are given a a role in and a part in, we we, we don't cease to be the church when the worship gathering is over on Sunday morning. When we are welcomed into God's family, we are a part of that family 24-7, 365. Christ didn't just stake a claim on a corner of the box that we call life. He staked a, a claim in the whole thing. He claimed all of our life for him. Listen, the church was established by God for something so much greater than merely coming together for worship once a week. We've been called into a family that we are called to partake in and participate in throughout the week. Are we taking advantage of that? Are we looking for opportunities throughout the week to love each other and serve each other well in the body? Are we sharing meals with one another and talking about what we're learning in Scripture together, praying with each other and for each other? See, the kind of community that Scripture calls us to be means we need to be mindful of the ways our lives naturally intersect with each other throughout the week. We need to be mindful of that, and we need to be looking for opportunities and ways that we can do the ordinary rhythms of our life with an extraordinary gospel intentionality and purpose. Do you go to the gym? Ask a brother or sister to go with you and talk about what you're learning in Scripture, what you're meditating on, what what questions you have from the Bible. Do you go out to the park to play basketball? Ask some of the church family to go with you and you can engage in gospel conversations with those who are out there. Do you feel stagnant in your walk with God? Ask a brother or a sister in Christ to study scripture with you and to meet up regularly and talk about what you're learning, to pray for one another. You see, instead of getting reclusive, we, we tend to get so reclusive and complacent in our lives and we end up becoming hermits into our own homes. Instead of doing that, let's vacate that complacency and instead embrace this task that we've been given in Christ to pursue him alongside one another. Sharing the hope that we have within us of the gospel wherever we go. See, when the family of God unites around this gospel, when we are united in the gospel, when we embrace our diversity, when we work diligently and fervently toward building each other up in love to maturity, what happens? is that it results in the very thing that Paul says at the end of this passage. That the family of God being fitted and held together by what every single diverse variety joint supplies, according to the proper working of each and every diverse individual part, causing the growth of the whole, the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We must vacate disunity, we must vacate uniformity, we must vacate complacency, all for the glory of God and for the sake of each other in his family. That's what God wants for us. That's the life in community that he has designed for us to live in. So family, let's live in it. Let's push each other to maturity so that we can be a mature body that stands firm in sound doctrine, not being blown by every wind of doctrine that comes our way and and being led astray by deceitful schemes, but standing firm in the doctrine and continually to work to expand Christ's kingdom even further as a whole, as a church, as a family, knowing God more deeply and making Him known even more widely. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, this is the kind of family that we are called to be in Christ. No, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be perfect because community with other people gets messy, doesn't it? It gets messy at times, but we can't let that prevent us from pursuing each other the way that Scripture calls on us to do. Community, it takes commitment from us. It's hard. It's painful at times. Sometimes it'll feel like you're giving and giving and giving and not getting anything back in return. But family, The end result that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, that we're striving for as the family of God is so much more rewarding than anything we could have designed or imagined ourselves. So will you commit to vacating these these attitudes and behaviors that wreck the family of God and instead commit to helping cultivate the kind of community that Paul talks about right here, right now? If you're not a follower of Christ here this morning, this is the kind of family that we get called into when our hearts are transformed by the gospel. See, not only when you receive Christ, do you receive a beautiful new heart and a beautiful new identity in Christ individually, but also you receive a new family. A big, diverse family made up of people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, with all sorts of experience, with all sorts of giftings, and from all sorts of life stages. This family it's here to serve you as you also serve them, mutually participating in the ministry of Christ. If you're here and you're not already a follower of Jesus, you are not yet a part of this family, but you can be. Would you consider repenting of your sin, for following after Christ today, trusting in Him alone for salvation? Because our God, He is merciful. He is gracious, and He is waiting with arms wide open. Just like the Father waiting for the prodigal son to come home, he is waiting with arms wide open, like an incredible father, waiting to welcome you in and adopt you into his big, big, beautiful family. Would you come and be a part of this family today? To move into a time of short response, I'll be up here in front, and I'd love to talk to you more about what Jesus is, what Jesus looks like, what following Jesus looks like, and, and what that looks like to be a part of this family. If we have any other prayer counselors, you can step out and and be scattered around the room at this time. If you'd like to know more about Jesus and, and being a part of this family, or if you'd like us to pray with you, if you'd like us to weep with you, to rejoice with you, we welcome you to come and respond to the word of God this morning. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much. Thank you so much for calling us yours. That in Christ, we can be reconciled, that we can be sons and daughters of the King. And God, thank you for giving us a family that's there for the good times, it's there for the bad times, it's there for the hard times. Whatever we're going through, we have a family that we can confide in, that we can love, and that they can love us. God, help us to be the family that you've called us to be, pushing each other closer and deeper with you and helping others to come to know this family as well. God, we just pray that we would respond in faith to this word that your word would change us, that it would change not only who we are inside, but how we act and how we act in response to that. God, help us to do this well. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church sermon podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family and leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.